0: Hello, folks. You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we watch and talk about a drive-in double feature consisting of two films randomly selected from a list of over 1,700. Those films this week are Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960 and the 1986 film Spookies, directed by many, many people, (laughs) none of whom I've heard of. (laughs) and um i'm your host patrick and i'm joined here by jim hello folks i'm back all right yes so yeah we got we got to talk spookies (laughs) um we got to talk psycho you know i don't want to say this is a common thing where there's like a giant discrepancy in film quality it's obviously happened before
1: (laughs) oh it has um
0: but this but this might be the greatest quality gap we've had
1: oh yeah absolutely i think
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Godzilla, Picasso, Trigger, like, Godzilla isn't Psycho as much as I love it, and Picasso, Trigger is a whole lot better than Spookies, let's be perfectly honest.
1: You know what, in in our master ranking, I would put Spookies one spot above uh, Screwballs.
0: Yeah, I'm, Screwballs, or excuse me, Spookies competes for the worst movie we've watched. I think... (laughs) You know, I, I think technically, on a technical level, Killing American Style is the worst film we've done. I don't, I mean, I did that episode mm-hmm. with Sean, so I don't know if you've seen that movie. I that have, yes. That is the yes. worst movie we've done, I think, on a technical level. But it's far more entertaining than Spookies. Ghoulies is far more entertaining than Spookies. You know, all these other, like, Picasso Trigger, Screwballs is, re- it's 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 there with Screwballs. It really is. But, to be fair, Psycho on the short list of best movies we've done i would i dare i say number one i would put it yeah it's definitely up there we've done some quality movies we've done aliens we've done audition we've done king kong you know but psycho's great it's psycho
1: yeah i mean and that's that's the great way to put it it's psycho it is what it is it's a classic you know
0: it is a masterpiece for, for a long time because Alfred Hitchcock has been my favorite director for for a really long time since I've watched, probably around the time I'd watched like Strangers on a Train or so, you know, the fifth or sixth movie I'd seen by him. I'm like, wow, this guy's awesome. You know, hot take, right? <laughs> but pretty much the entire time, Psycho was my favorite movie by him. Now, you know, for, for, for years I was, I was saying that like, okay, Vertigo's better, but I still prefer Psycho. Now... Vertigo, I do prefer, but it's just it's like one or two notches above in my all-time list. The, these are Psycho's a top ten movie for me. Vertigo's a top ten movie. Yeah, yeah. Psycho is Psycho, and do you have anything to say on it before we get into it?
1: Not really. I guess the only thing is I I've seen it a few times before, as as one would with such a uh, yeah. I've I've seen it so many
0: times. Yeah.
1: I found that I wasn't as taken in by it, I guess. And I, I think it's because the first time you watch it, you're essentially Groot. Uh, Groot, fuck.
0: <laughs> I am grouped to the <laughs> screen. <laughs> there you go, yeah.
1: Yeah, the first time you watch it, you are pretty much glued to the screen. Sure. But once you know the twist, it just becomes a lot less exciting but okay. you start. But I find, anyways, that I start to appreciate the camera work more and the mm-hmm. things that the actors do in the scenes.
0: Yeah, I found myself enjoying this more as just on on a filmic level than I ever have before. I mean, I've always obviously loved the movie, but the cameras moving around. It's it's a really well edited film. The Obviously, the famous shower scene is one of the best mm-hmm. pieces of film editing in, in history, not not just for the time, for 1960, but just ever, you know?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I will say, too, if you're not familiar, like, if you have never seen Psycho before, what are you doing listening to us? You should go watch it before you listen to us.
0: I'm not I'm not going to extend that to Spookies. No, no, no. not listen to us <laughs> without seeing Spookies. You, you'll be better off for it.
1: Yeah, do not watch Spookies. But I think... First-time viewers of Psycho might be surprised that Norman Bates is—he's a a main character, but the story—I guess the story revolves around him, but it also feels like it doesn't in a way.
0: You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, the the big thing with Psycho—and this is like— if i i think i it's possible i brought this up once or twice but yeah we definitely talked about this when we talked about alien and we t- talked about we wish we could have seen alien without knowing about that chestburster scene because yeah the chestburster scene is so freaking famous you know about it before you see the movie whereas if you're around in 79 and you see the movie when it's just out maybe that would have been the most shocking thing ever mm-hmm. psycho is a little bit like that except it's really the entire movie you can say the shower scene and some of the some of the cultural significance of the shower scene is kind of lost over time. I I don't want to say it's like the relevance is lost, but kind of the power of that, you know, that Janet Lee is the big star and she gets killed early on in the movie. Some people say it's like 10 minutes in. It's not. It's (laughs) close to halfway. It's probably a little bit less than halfway through.
1: Yeah, it's like 39 minutes in or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's over a half hour in. And so, but like Janet Lee, obviously, she's really kind of only known for Psycho nowadays and then known for being Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, especially if you're a horror fan, you know, Halloween, Psycho, the connection there. So like you watch the movie now and you don't think, oh my God, this is a huge actress. How did they kill her off so early in the movie? Because that's not shocking. Janet Lee's stardom did not persist. You know, it's not like... um, if you watch a movie and John Wayne gets killed off in the first act, you're like, holy shit, yeah. because everybody still knows who John Wayne is. Yeah. And so that's kind of lost, unfortunately. And I think also just the the idea of, like, um, the, the, the twist really of being of, like, a, the seemingly main character, the seeming main character being killed off relatively early in the film, people have imitated that, and even just in horror, like, alone— people will talk about scream and drew Barrymore being all over the promotional material for scream the trailers mm-hmm. the posters all that stuff she's kind of the big name in scream and she gets killed in the opening scene a nightmare on elm street i think is is and we'll just talk about west craven again it's like the opening scene of that is all it it sets it up as tina is the main character yeah and then because she's the one having the dream but then she gets she's the first killed so and I'm sure there are other examples, but like, hell, I guess the, the 2021 Suicide Squad movie was kind of like that. We we follow this, like, Suicide Squad team that just gets killed off <laughs> five minutes into the movie, and then we pick up with an entirely different team.
1: Continuing with your point there, I mean, that trope, I guess, I, I guess you could call it, has been done so many times since 1960. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. You know? Everybody like, who's doing <laughs> it
0: is either paying homage to Hitchcock or trying to be Hitchcock in their own way not to say literally Hitchcock was the first to do it I'm sure you know I'm sure you can find other examples there's literally thousands of films that were made before Psycho Mm -hmm. you know there's probably something there but it's not stuff you know not stuff that I'm familiar with and certainly nothing that has stood the test of time the way Psycho has yeah, or Spookies and, for that matter. Or no, Spookies. <laughs> and, and also, <laughs> spookies is is a real uh a real trend center in the Yeah, we we talked we we watched one movie this week that absolutely changed the fabric of horror films for decades to come and that film yeah. is Spookies. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> some say Spookies uh, it was the first uh, slasher movie. Not Psycho.
0: Spookies. Yeah. <laughs> Spookies, yeah, Spookies, you know, with all its great effects work. Was well Spookies, <laughs> I mentioned the Suicide Squad, but Spookies seems to be an inspiration for every other DC comic book movies. The, the way it's like very clearly two different films oh, woven yeah. into <laughs> <laughs> woven together and it's like all these reshoots and stuff. Like DC is following the Spookies model. <laughs>
1: Uh, that's what's wrong with their model. They got the spooky well, model. that <laughs>
0: itself is kind of a dated joke. Like, DC's kind of course-corrected, haven't they? I don't know. I don't follow this stuff. Uh,
1: yeah, me neither. I, uh, I, apparently they have. I, I mean, know.
0: Shazam was great. Shazam didn't have these... Sh- Shazam didn't Shazam. have Spookies problems.
1: Yes. I, <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> well, I mean, do you want to talk about Spooky's problems now, or do you want to wait till we get to Spookies?
0: Let's get to... Let's wait to Spookies. Let's, okay. let's talk Psycho. The film opens with that brilliant Bernard Herrmann score really really energetic really fast paced very aggressive strings and we get this great Saul Bass opening credit sequence with the with the names flying by and all this the kind of the distorted all this like black and white obviously the movie is black and white but i always really liked this opening credit sequence but following the opening credits we pick up in Phoenix Arizona it is I wrote down October 11th. December 11th. Definitely not. Yeah, it's it's December 11th. I wrote down 10 11. It's definitely 12 11. It's (laughs) 2:43 p.m. and the camera just is is above the buildings. It's just kind of looking at all these buildings, and then it just slowly zooms in and then enters this hotel room. And right off the bat, we get Janet Lee in her white bra, which is this is like really racy for 1960 already. And then we get shirtless John Gavin. (laughs) <laughs> Who um
1: is of Sexy. course named?
0: He's a good-looking guy, you know. Um, I don't. He's a bad actor, but he's a good-looking guy. He plays Sam Loomis. Of course, horror fans might be more familiar with that name, as that's the name of Doctor Loomis, Donald Pleasence in the Halloween series. This is where they got it from, folks. They're not ripping off Spookies. They're ripping off this other movie. <laughs> and. Janet Lee, of course, plays Marion Crane. They are dating. They are seeing each other on, <laughs> on on, Marion's extended lunch break. And they're talking about they want to get married, but they can't because Sam is in a bunch of debt. He mentions, well, we learn later he, he owns a hardware store, but it sounds like he inherited it from his father because he's still paying off his father's debts. He's also got an ex-wife to pay off, you know, with alimony. So, Wait you know... Jeez. Yeah, well, you know, and men, his fa- his father, <laughs> Um You know, 1960, this type of thing, not that it didn't happen in, in the real world, of course, but this is super taboo, at least for in a movie. You know, this is, we're pre-sexual revolution. We're pre-the death of John F. Kennedy. I just like pointing that out because that was a great moment in American history. Pre-9-11. Uh, not really relevant to Psycho. Other than... Well, it's pre- pre-9-11, though, but uh, yeah, no, uh, JFK and the film Psycho are both mentioned in Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Yeah, that's the true. The ultimate boomer porn song out there. It's the for, the Forrest Gump of, of um, classic rock. <laughs> the
1: Forrest Gump of classic rock, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'll I take that, yeah. Boom, boomer's love there, We Didn't Start the Fire. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a terrible song. All he's doing is listing things. He's not saying anything
1: my mother told me the craziest thing about that song okay I guess it's not really necessarily about that song but uh she said that she was dancing to that song in clubs in Kingston Ontario wearing I guess this ties into uh, in, into psycho wearing uh, a men's dress shirt and bow tie okay. with all of her lady friends who would also wear the same thing when my dad said and this was years ago and my dad was like you didn't tell me that and she goes ah, don your father's just so out of touch with all the cool things, isn't he? And I'm like, I, is that a cool thing to wear men's
0: was men's Yeah, was clothes? We Didn't Start the Fire ever a really cool yeah, thing? And I Dance feel like even. when that came out, that that song was made for, like, 35-year-olds, you know?
1: I know, I know. Yeah, like Billy Joel she used wasn't to get down hip to it with in the, the kids.
0: <laughs> no. Anyways, so, so Marion heads back to her office. She uh, it, It's some kind of, like, banking or, like, loan company thing. She works with Patricia Hitchcock from Strangers on a Train, who's funny in kind of a small role. This is also where we get our Alfred Hitchcock cameo. We get it out of the way really early on. He's just kind of outside (laughs) the the building. He's just standing there. Alfred Hitchcock, because he's famous for his cameos, he always wanted to have the cameo relatively early in the movie, definitely in the first half because he was known for that and he didn't want people distracted like looking for it during like important scenes and stuff which is probably really really smart and this is one of the earlier cameos in his movies at least that i've seen he's he's like the first thing you see in north by northwest so because he misses the bus like right when the opening credits end but other (laughs) than that ill and i guess the birds he's like one of the first things you see also North by Northwest, Psycho and the Birds were three consecutive movies for him. So he was on that really early cameo kick from 1959 to 1963. He beat out Stan Lee by like 50 years. I don't know. I don't want to talk shit about Stan Lee, but I don't know. I, I... I've never gotten anything out of the Stan Lee cameos, but I'm also like, I just don't care about Stan Lee. So that's really what it is. Whereas I love Hitchcock and I love his cameos. Some of his are really like genuinely funny too, which I guess maybe some of Stan Lee's are, but like there's, there's a great one in in Lifeboat. And this one was one that I was really curious how they would squeeze Hitchcock in there because the entire movie takes place aboard a boat that like nine or 10 people are on. And they have a newspaper and there's like, something about a weight loss drug and it's a before and after picture of Alfred Hitchcock. (laughs) And it's like, oh, that's really creative. That's That's awesome. (laughs) So Marion's boss enters the office with this like oil guy, Uh, you know, he's like a Texan oil guy. I I don't know if that's what he is. He's a rich guy, but he's wearing a cowboy hat. That's why I say he's a Texan oil (laughs) baron, because that's just what he feels like. I would have guessed that too, yeah. He's a little drunk, you know, and he starts kind of flirting with Marion and he just hands her $40,000 and this is $40,000 that's meant as the purchasing of a home for his daughter, but he just gives it to her in person and Marion's boss says like, you know, just take that straight to the bank. Like, you know, because we'll figure everything out on Monday or whatever, because they're they're not used to just getting $40,000 in cash. And $40,000, a lot of money back then. I don't have the the inflation stats pulled up on here. But I mean, $40,000 back then, definitely enough for a house.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, um, my grandparents bought a five bedroom house in Toronto in 1955 for like $25,000.
0: And that's twenty five thousand Canadian too. So I know. Back then, maybe that's <laughs> no. I'm not. That's not a joke. I, I it's know, just I like know. that's that's less money than fifty five thousand U S is. That's that's a fact.
1: Uh, hold on. I, I'm I'm pulling up this inflation here.
0: All right. I will continue. So Marion asks that like, hey, after I deposit this to the bank, and I just go right home? I'm not feeling well. And the boss is like, yeah, sure. So she goes to her home and she starts packing. So she's already decided she's not turning the money into the bank, and then this is the scene too where you notice I pointed out the white bra earlier. Here she's wearing a black bra. Mm -hmm. You know that's that's a little indicator. Oh, she's turned to the dark side, as it were. (laughs) She's turned to the dark side from that
1: roughly three hundred seventy-one thousand American dollars in today's. Oh,
0: three hundred. Yeah, three hundred. Well, yeah. It's enough for a house somewhere. I don't know if it's enough for a house in Phoenix nowadays because <laughs> Probably Phoenix not, is no. so different now than it was in 1960. No one lived back there then. But anyways, she packs all her stuff. She intends to go—she never vocalizes this, this, obviously, but she's very clearly intending to go visit her boyfriend, Sam, who lives in Fairvale, California— So as she's driving about town, she's stopped at a red light and she sees her boss and her boss does like a double take. And then she's thinking, oh, shit. (laughs) And so that's like the last thing she does when she's still in town. And as she's driving, she's imagining conversations in her head, you know, with her boss saying like, you know, this is, you know, Monday the next week, you know, wanting to know where she is. And then it's just like, wait a minute, I actually did see her. And she pulls over late at night. And she wakes up to a cop knocking on her window and then talking to her. And he, she's acting super suspicious, obviously. And the cop is really just checking up on her, making, sur- making sure everything's okay. But then when the cop takes note of her license plate, then she starts acting even more weird. And she goes to buy a new car at, like, the first car dealership she sees. And the cop <laughs> has followed her there and is just watching her from across the street. And I love the scene with the cop too, like how because he's got those like aviator sunglasses on, right? Mm-hmm. And all the shots of him just talking to her are super close on, and he's just looking at her, and she's like, and it's like intimidating. It's genuinely intimidating. It is yeah, imagining yeah. that from her scenario, from her point of view, and he's just like you can't see anything in his eyes.
1: Yeah, but I also like that with those aviators on, he looks like he's not—he's—he's he's not taking any bullshit. You know what I mean? He can smell her a mile away.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You know? He's—I mean—but then I also love the reverse of her, and she's like wide-eyed and like terrified. Not, Innocence—innocence—not the right word, but yeah, terrified, intimidated, and it's just that the back—the back and forth, the way the camera cuts, it's just like the, this. It makes you kind of anxious for her. And at this point, she's not a good person, but like you know, this is who we're following on this journey. So, at the car dealership, she talks with this John John Anderson guy. This is the actor's name. He's in a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes. He is classic car salesman guy. This is if I'm making a movie in the '50s or early '60s. This is the first guy I turn to for a car salesman or a salesman type. Oh, absolutely! Because he's just like the perfect. The way he talks, he's just got this like I could maybe see him being like a playing like a baseball announcer too. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's just got it's like something kind of fun about him, just the way he talks. It's it's great. She so she's trying to buy her car and she's basically trying to go as fast as possible. She's like, Listen, I'll trade in my car and I'll buy this one. Like how how much would you need from me? And he's like, Don't you want to take it for a test drive? And she's like, No, just <laughs> so <laughs> so i think i think she trades in her car and pays 700 i believe yeah yeah then as she's purchasing the car this is when the cop actually enters the parking lot and at this point she has switched her money out from i mean it's still in an envelope but she's got it within a big newspaper now so that's where the money is it was in just this giant envelope before now it's in the newspaper and she leaves in such a hurry when the cop is showing up that she almost leaves without her bags. But the worker who had been checking out her car stops her and gives her her bag, and then she takes off. And now she's got a new conversation to run through in her mind, where it's the cop talking to the salesman, and it's like, you know, did she like? It's like, what, what was her deal? Was it like someone chasing her or something? Like, and then the salesman's like, ah, did she look? Does she look like the the Wrong person to you and then the cops like well she acted like one <laughs> yeah I like that line <laughs> and then this is when she's driving it's late at night it's raining so she has to pull over she finds the Bates motel and stops there no one is at the motel at first so she just honks her car horn and Norman Bates Anthony Perkins comes down from the house so so the Bates motel we've got this We've got like two buildings or maybe maybe it's one building, but it's like an L shape. I think it's like two buildings is the motel and it's classic kind of shabby run down motel. And then you've got this awesome freaking Gothic house just kind of up the hill from there. And there's this winding staircase going up that hill. And it's just, it's the coolest house in movie history. Oh yeah. Pretty much. And so Norman meets with her. Norman is super friendly, maybe a little weird, but he's super friendly and... She, when she checks into the hotel, she uses a fake name. She uses the name Marie Samuels, and he asks for her address. And, she, and then he clarifies, oh, just the town would do. And she's like, oh, Los Angeles, because she looks at her newspaper, which is the Los Angeles Times or whatever. So she checks into cabin one, and she mentions that she's really hungry. And Norman says, hey, there's a di- diner just outside of Fairvale. And then she's like, oh, I didn't know I was that close to Fairvale. But since she doesn't want to leave with the rain, he promises to make her a sandwich. This is that Norman Bates homemaker stuff. This is, (laughs) you know. So as, as he's showing her her room... And there's a great little moment here where he's just like being very specific about everything, and he I love I love how he talks about the uh, the stationery with uh, Bates Motel printed on it. If you want to yeah. make your friends back home feel envious, <laughs> I love that line.
1: <laughs> That's a great one.
0: And then I love when he opens the bathroom and, and turns on the light, and he's like, and he's like, oh, oh, over there, and then she has to say it for him. He can't bring himself to say the bathroom, and I love that because it's like you know because obviously we learn soon enough we learn like just in a minute here that norman has this like overbearing mother and i love that this this is such like a think of the movie carrie or the novel carrie and carrie's mom is so like religious and and overbearing and Mm -hmm. and just crazy and that like even normal everyday things like um Anything involving the body is like considered unclean or something, and you kind of get yeah. the impression that's what Norman is like—that he was brought up to be proper, and and and, and he, it's also probably he's intimidated that it's a woman and a beautiful woman at that. Mm-hmm. Also, what kind of a dinner is that? Sandwiches and milk? I mean, you know, a lot of people drink warm milk before going to bed. I guess uh, you know. Then I was do. thinking, I don't. I was, I was watching it, and I was like,
1: you know, who else had sandwiches and milk before bed? Fucking Bing Crosby in White Christmas. And he also shared sandwiches and milk with a lady in that movie. And he also
0: murdered two <laughs> people in that movie. I yeah, he know. also
1: killed her in a shower. <laughs> Who's the better murderer?
0: <laughs> Bing Crosby's, you know, father issues are to be believed. He was a bit of a monster.
1: You take that back. At least that- at
0: least one because he had two different sets as kids. One yeah. I think the, the the older set said he was like a horrible person, and the, the younger set said, oh, he was great. So, hey, who's to believe?
1: Yeah, though, exactly. Though, he uh, he died like a boss on a golf course in the 70s. I
0: think his last words were... Just like Carl Weathers. Did you really? Well, no. I mean, in Happy Gilmore, does it mean oh, yeah. by an alligator <laughs> or something? I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah, No, no Carl Crosby's, Weathers is
0: still alive.
1: No, Ben Crosby's last words were something like, um, that was a great round, fellas. Let's head to the clubhouse for a drink. And then he had a massive heart attack and died on the 18th green.
0: Hmm. And then, then Bing Crosby's real last words were, Why, I wouldn't even harm a fly.
1: <laughs> That's the joke of the day right there.
0: <laughs> so Norman heads upstairs and he's because he, or his, he heads up to his house because he wants to have her over for dinner. And he gets in a very loud argument. And it has to be very loud because she, Marion, can hear it from her motel room that he's yelling back and forth with with his mother, and his mother doesn't want to invite this young, pretty woman over to the house, even though Norman seems perfectly innocent about it. Like, he just seems like he's trying to be friendly. So he eventually comes back down with sandwiches and milk, and she apologizes because she feels like she has (laughs) given him a bunch of trouble, and he's like, no, no, it's fine, you know. They eventually sit down in the parlor to eat, and this, this parlor, of course, is filled with stuffed birds because, uh, it, I mean, it comes up really early on in this conversation that Norman, not really into birds, but he's into taxidermy. He's into stuffing things. That's his hobby. We learn soon enough, It's he doesn't really have other hobbies. It's He doesn't have friends because he has the famous line, a boy's best friend is his mother, which is, you know, great stuff. And I just, I love this scene. I love this entire scene of dialogue between the two of them. It's so friggin awesome this is probably my favorite scene of dialogue in any movie
1: you said in an episode we did i don't remember if it was a commentary track or uh, just a random episode
0: check out our patreon for those commentary tracks folks
1: but you said that perkins does a really good job at playing creepy and in like deranged
0: i don't remember ever talking about anthony perkins in any of our previous episodes really? or commentary tracks really really
1: because we a psycho came up somewhere and you said that he does a really good job at playing like like both this kind of what well-meaning sort of thing but deranged at the same time like like quietly insane oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) i
0: think um maybe it was maybe with like hash for the honeymoon because that has some psycho similarities maybe or maybe with um no probably with betsy palmer in the original friday the 13th because she kind of has that where she seems like sweet and motherly but then just flips a switch and she's you know crazy mode
1: but that's where you really start to see that in this scene especially when oh yeah um, when the the um, when his mother this invalid yes yeah is brought up yeah the mother
0: <laughs> is brought up and he mentions that she's sick but then he clarifies oh she's not like ill he, he's like it's she's just and he's implying that like she's senile or some kind of like a little yeah. a little kooky a little crazy and then Marion, be trying to be, you know, nice and friendly, mentions like, well, you know, have you, maybe you should take her someplace, and that's where that shift really is. Mm-hmm. This is, and then he he starts, you, know, you mean an institution, a madhouse, and he goes on and on. And what I love about this scene too, there's so many things. A Anthony Perkins nails it, and especially because he he doesn't stay in creepy mode. It's not Friday the Thirteenth where where. Betsy Palmer starts friendly, goes creepy, and then she's killing people like he he comes back from it so well and casually and he kind of plays it off. Well, like like he's like, oh, kind of like, you know, realizing he went a little too far and is trying to trying to like be more himself, if you will. But but also what I love about it is Janet Lee's reactions are so spot on. Yes. She her reactions because this is shot mostly in like a shot reverse shot kind of style we don't get too many shots of the two of them together you know her like her subtle facial reactions when when he starts getting kind of weird she like backs her head a bit like backs moves a little further away and her eyes get kind of more fixated and you can tell she's disturbed by it but she, she 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 just plays that so well
1: yeah, and she's even put down her food, which she was kind of nibbling at. Yeah. And now she's not touching it. She's not even moving. She's just kind of wide-eyed and and listening to this psychopath.
0: <laughs> He's a weirdo. We don't know psychopath at this point. Yeah, I mean, right. We know you're the right. Freaking title of the movie, obviously.
1: But... <laughs> I also like how uh, when there was that shift in mood for for Norman, the camera was mm-hmm. almost put on the floor, and it was yes uh, the yeah. shot looking upwards. And th- that's and it's else great the...
0: framing too, because you get that creepy like owl yeah. kind of in the <laughs> yeah, background spreading like its over wings. him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an owl, right? There's yeah. There's a bunch is, of yeah. different birds. I think this one is an owl.
1: Yeah. And I also think this is where like the black and white is really useful in setting the mood, setting the tone. Yeah. The lighting
0: um, is perfect. This has a very noir type feel. I wouldn't by any means call this film a film noir, but it kind of mm-hmm. has that look to it. Yeah. In, in, in yeah. scenes, and this one especially, this one most note, noteworthy Lee. That's not a word.
1: <laughs> I'll allow it, Mr. English PhD. There's also a bit as well where, oh, I forget where it is, but again, it's this like use of, of this harsh like underlighting where mm-hmm. Norman's acting all sweet and innocent. And then as soon as Marion leaves, uh, he turns and this harsh underlighting hits him from the chin and he just looks absolutely terrifying. And I think, mm-hmm. like, I was watching and thinking, like, this is great. You know, this is really setting <laughs> this terrifying tone. And I can understand how people were made uncomfortable by this character in
0: 1960. 100%. Because it is subtle, too. The, mm-hmm. I mean, everything about this movie or about this character until the ending scene, which we'll get to, obviously, is very subtle. It's really creepy, but your mind is able to kind of do a lot of the work for you because when he mentions because this is the scene where he mentions that his mom kind of started losing it after you know she got a boyfriend or a lover or whatever and then when he died and then he even he says something like and even the way he died but he doesn't elaborate on it but you're thinking oh my god yeah was he murdered did he kill himself like yeah oh man it's so great And I love the dialogue, like the dialogue in this entire scene, like we mentioned that there's the, there's two really famous lines in this one. And there's the, obviously the boy's best, a boy's best friend is his mother. And then the other one, the one that I is like one of my favorite film lines in history is when he, this is when he's starting to kind of realize that he went a little too far in his, you know, talking about his mother. And then he starts, he leans back and starts being more casual, and he's like, well, you know, she she just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> yeah, hey, that was a great delivery. Also, too, as, as weird as this entire thing is, this little speech that he's given has convinced Marion to go back and turn herself in, or, you know, d- d- turn the money back in, because she kind of realizes, like, she says, like, uh, referencing something he said, she realizes, like, oh, you know, I stepped into one of my private little traps, and I need to get myself out of it. Mm-hmm. And as she's saying goodnight to him, she she mentions that she's got a long drive tomorrow morning back to Phoenix. Well, and he also, she also says, you know, because when he says in goodnight, miss, and then she says crane. And then when she leaves, he goes back and looks at the little ledger, and it says... <laughs> says Marie Samuels from Los Angeles. And he yeah. kind of like laughs a little bit. <laughs> and then, oh man, this scene is great too. And this this is so, this is the first real big transition of the movie because this is the first scene of the entire movie where we are not following Marion. Marion is gone. We are now following Norman. And after 20, 30 minutes or so of janet lee being constantly on screen this is such a harsh but like engrossing transition where suddenly we're following him and we are literally following him as he moves around and he starts peeping on her because he picks up this one photo of a bird and and he's got a little peeping hole to look into (laughs) room one where he sees janet lee (laughs) taking off her clothes getting ready to shower and it's just so creepy. And then he, like, goes up to his house, and we're just following him. We're not really sure what he's doing. Like, at, at first, okay, oh, he's being creepy, obviously, with the peeping. But then he just goes, up, goes back to his home, and it's like, okay, you know, maybe he's fought off some of his darker urges. You know, that's kind of what it appears to be for, mm-hmm. for a minute or two. Meanwhile, Marion takes a shower, and I want to point out this, of course. And I'm sure people have talked about this, but the movie's called Psycho, right? yeah (laughs) okay thank you for eventually answering that (laughs) sir i was like Um, am i supposed to answer that well it's it's rhetorical (laughs) sure but whatever yeah the movie's called psycho right okay it's named after norman bates because norman bates is a psychopath no marion is the psycho she steps into a shower before she has turned it on and then turns it on that water (laughs) is gonna be freezing cold you have to be a psychopath <laughs> to do that, right?
1: Absolutely. I'm not insane. I, I turn the shower on. I wait till it gets nice and hot and step on in. Yeah,
0: you, you give it a minute. I mean, my, my shower at home is like, oh, I have to give it like six minutes. It takes forever. <laughs> but like, I don't know. This is a shabby motel room. There's no way it's got like instant heat.
1: Well, also, I also want to point out, she ripped paper up and then flushed it down the toilet as well. And That's I'm like, right. Who, That's important. I'm like, who yeah. does that even?
0: <laughs> Just put
1: it in the well, trash.
0: Well, but technically, her paper is incriminating. yeah, you're right, I, I and she- I said incriminating like in like combining incriminating <laughs> and, and intimidating, but no, it's incriminating because it's she um subtracted seven hundred from forty thousand thousand. yeah. so I can understand not wanting to leave that in a garbage, I guess.
1: which also I guess should we also mention I'm sure everybody who talks about psycho mentions this, but I guess this is the first. First on-screen, on-screen toilet fl- flush. Yeah, but I, re- I was reading about it earlier, and it's apparently in North America, so perhaps yeah. they filmed toilets in in the in the UK.
0: <laughs> but no, and this is, is this is noteworthy too because Hitchcock apparently fought like crazy to make sure this scene was not cut from the movie. And you think like, okay, wait, why is it a big deal? And but Hitchcock was one hundred percent right, and he's like, no, 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 it's essential to the plot. You need to see that she flushes the toilet here. Yeah. And tries to get rid of this. And I think that's also kind of why he put it in there. He Because Hitchcock was always pushing boundaries for one thing or another, whether it's sex or violence. And I think 100% he just put the, this in here to be like, hey, I want to show a toilet flush. And like, let's, let's write it in so that it's essential for the movie, <laughs> for the plot. <laughs> and it worked. By God, he did it.
1: Well, he also fought hard for the shower scene, obviously, and um, for the opening scene of— uh... Uh, oh, the, 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 the bra,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because for 1960, you see an awful lot of Janet Lee, And then obviously this shower scene that's about to come up, fully naked woman, very, very clever editing, very clever blocking so that we don't really see nudity. Mm-hmm. But we come awfully, awfully close to seeing it. And yeah, that's that's, I mean, we'll just talk about this scene. So this is the shower scene, a figure- in women's clothes, pulls the curtain open, pulls up a knife, and starts stabbing Marion as she screams and screams. And it's, this is obviously where the music is going really hard. It's just nothing but really high-pitched strings, unforgettable music, obviously. And the scene is so great. It's so perfect. And we have all these edits and I think it's a basically a body double the entire time, except for when we see the face and when she's screaming. But I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, there's but,
1: some discrepancy on that. Apparently,
0: yes, th- there's the all actress. sorts of discrepancy on this this scene. I I know there's an entire documentary on just this scene alone because it's arguably the most famous scene in movie history. I mean, it's literally just known as the shower scene. How many other movies, yeah, just have a name like that? You know, have a scene like that? Or the crop duster scene in North by Northwest, maybe. What else you got?
1: Uh, the Here's Johnny scene.
0: That no one, no one calls it the Here's Johnny scene. No,
1: <laughs> you're is, right.
0: no one is, I mean, someone has. Well, first of all, the shine. The, to be perfectly fair, the best scene. Blood. Of the Shining Life? is the Blood is the Hell bathroom Life? scene.
1: Oh, oh yeah, that yeah yeah.
0: That that is easily the best scene of The Shining. What else? Yeah, I mean, the boulder scene, right as the Lost Ark, I don't know, there's maybe a few others, but it's the shower scene, that's like, it's like a proper noun, you know, (laughs) and it's so great. Yeah, there's some discrepancies, some people have alleged that Hitchcock wasn't even on set for this, which I think that's been debunked, but, you know, people kind of argued about it for years still, and I think stuff like that all goes back to, like, someone wrote something in a book one day, and then, you know... Who knows? I don't I haven't done my due diligence on this, so I can't really speak for all this stuff, but I'm assuming body double for most of this. If I'm not mistaken, and I'm gonna look this up quick. But if I'm not mistaken, Janet Lee was actually pregnant with Jamie Lee Curtis when she was shooting this movie. Really? Okay, never mind. No. Jamie Lee Curtis was born in fifty eight. I was mistaken. I thought never she was in like okay. sixty. All right.
1: Well, I'll, I'll give you a bit of trivia. When Janet Lee was in the shower, they got because they didn't want like any accidental nude shots of the actual female yeah. form. They got like stripper pasties, pasties, I guess. Pasties. Oh yeah, sure. They got stripper pasties, uh, and then they cut <laughs> the tassels off. <laughs>
0: Welsh, uh, Welsh pasties. <laughs> yeah. Or Cornish. Got, excuse me.
1: Yeah, they, they they got they got stripper cheese and <laughs> cheese and onion pasties. Yeah, they got stripper pasties and pasted them onto her boobs, cut the tassels off. And then I think they had her in a few scenes where like a skin colored leotard, but only the bottoms.
0: Okay, sure.
1: And then apparently they also had to cut a scene out of... Because uh, I think Hitchcock said that there were 75 shots in that scene, but on closer inspection, most film scholars, I guess you could call them, count only 60 different shots.
0: Well, yeah, and now when you say shots, I assume you mean like edits, basically, because because if you think of it, there's like probably four or five different camera angles, maybe even a little bit more than that. So it's not like each one of those is necessarily a different shot. It's, it's like um, every edit cuts to something, but it could cut to something that, you know, we've already seen something from that angle, which was technically the same shot. But I guess we're talking edits. Basically. I think it's
1: all technically different shots because... In every shot, there's a different thing going on. So it might cut back to like her stomach, let's say, but in the, the first time you saw it. Yeah, there's the
0: great shot of the knife, not going into her stomach, but like next to her stomach. And that's a, a really quick cut. And that's like, when this movie came out, people were so convinced of two things. That A, they actually saw nudity, mm-hmm. i.e. nipples. And you come very close to seeing it, but you don't see it and then B, also that you actually see the knife penetrating the skin, and you obviously don't. Mm-hmm. But just the incredible editing and the quick editing, it, just, it convinces you that you do see more than you actually see. Yeah, and, and Texas were... Chainsaw Massacre has that kind of thing all over that movie, too. That's another wonderfully edited movie.
1: This scene, uh, this shower scene in particular, you were supposed to see either the stand-in or the actress's bum, but that had to be cut okay apparently so that would have brought it up to 61 or
0: perhaps there were how many ass shots exactly perhaps there were five different ass shots (laughs) 15 you said 75 oh yeah that's right
1: 15 damn it
0: (laughs) it's like an entire different edit of this scene it's just a lot more awkward and just bring out the hitchcock edit (laughs) release the ass cut
1: (laughs) release the ass cut
0: So anyways, this scene concludes with Marion slumping to the ground, sliding down, reaching her arm out very slowly, very lackadaisically because she's dying, and this woman turns and walks away, never see the face, obviously, and then Marion falls, collapses and falls into the shower curtain and like leans over and falls onto the floor. And then we get a crazy shot too of um, it starts on her eye and it seems like it's just a photograph because it's so freaking still. Mm -hmm. But then very, very slowly the camera starts moving away and you realize it's a a shot and it's so insane. And then then you see some like water dripping down and it's such, such a crazy shot. It's so great. And then while this is happening, we hear Norman up at the house yelling at his mother. He's like, what have you done? Oh my God, there's blood everywhere. And then... Norman comes back down to the bathroom or to the shower, sees this all, covers his mouth in disgust and fear, and then starts cleaning up. This is really great. He brings out the mop. He pulls the shower curtains out to put the body in there and wrap her up. He cleans the bathroom rather thoroughly, except does not get the one little piece of paper that did not make it down the toilet that says 40,000. Mm-hmm later on we learn that he changes the beds once a week you think he would have just stumbled upon that because he's been in the room later but whatever you know it's a movie idiot and this scene is so long it's it's really really detailed in what he's does he checks all the drawers he you know after he stuffs marion into the trunk of her car he goes back for one last look and then finds the newspaper, the newspaper where she has all the $40,000 or I guess $3,300 or th- $33,000, <laughs> excuse me. And he, and then he picks that up and he puts that in the trunk as well. And then he pushes, well, he he takes it the car be out to swamp. $39,300. Yeah. Sorry. Fuck <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> listen, I don't have this. I'm not looking at my notes here. um but then he puts the car in neutral right next to the swamp and then pushes the car in and i like this scene too because this is um this is a great car the car starts sinking but then it kind of stops and he starts like nervously like is he eating something or is he biting his nails he's doing something
1: i I think he's like popping like candy or something right or gum or something
0: Well, later on he's eating i think it's candy corn cuz i i looked it looked like candy corn on the bag with a k for candy and a k, k for corn so he it's really like some kind of candy candy corn's great shut up <laughs> i don't know how widely available it is in december <laughs> but hey you know it's it's california they have different seasons there maybe they have candy, candy corn grows year round in in uh, fairvale <laughs> <You know what? laughs> yeah. but then after the car stops a bit then it finally sinks to the bottom and I will just say that this last 20 minutes or so from the conversation in the parlor through the shower scene the famous shower scene through the cleanup into the car in the swamp this might be my favorite 20 minute or so 25 minute however long it is just stretch in film history it's so friggin good it's so compelling even with the him peeping and all that stuff between the um conversation in the shower scene it's so friggin' great anthony perkins knocks it out of the park janet lee knocks it out of the park hitchcock all of janet lee's body doubles everyone's great bernard herman obviously the music in this entire movie is incredible but the shower scene's definitely the most memorable
1: yeah i totally agree it's all uh, it's it's entrancing when you're watching it. it that's how well it's it's all done you just cannot take your eyes off of the screen while it's happening right
0: it's the opposite of Spookies, where I fell asleep <laughs> watching one night and then I mean I did watch the entire thing, but I we'll get to this in Spookies because we've we've talked about, you know, screams in horror movies. I've pointed this out with Mark Patton in Nightmare on Elm Street two. I've talked about it in some of the Friday the thirteenth movies. We definitely talked about it with Samara Weaving in Ready or Not. A great scream in a horror movie is really important. Janet Lee obviously probably has the single most famous scream in screen history in this movie when she turns after the curtain has been pulled back Mm -hmm. and then we have the lady at the end of spookies which has one of the worst cinematic screams ever i actually like when i fell asleep to the movie i woke up at that ending scene with the zombies because it sounded like a record scratching it just sounds so bad it's just the worst (laughs) yeah sounding scream it's so if you notice all the screams in that movie are like dubbed
1: <laughs> did you notice that
0: well there's so much dubbing in that movie i don't know anyways so back to psycho the movie has again shifted because now we are no longer obviously following marion we're not even following norman at this point so we meet a couple of new characters well i guess sam isn't new we reconnect with sam and we meet marion's sister What's her name? I have it written down somewhere. She's played Lila by Vera Miles, isn't it? Isn't it Lila? Like Lila. That's right. Yeah, she's named after the Oasis song. Um, <laughs> uh, she shows up at Sam's hardware store in Fairvale, introduces herself because they've never met before. Because again, going back to the Sam Marion relationship was kind of scandalous. You know, the "Don't introduce me to your parents" type thing because they're not married and they're fucking so um but lila Lila says like listen just where is marion like we haven't seen her i know she's here with you where is she and then he's like oh i haven't heard from her either like i I don't know because obviously and lila correctly assumes of course that marion was going to come to fairvale because she was on her way she almost made it she's like 15 miles from there 10 miles or something and then we meet a new character a private investigator hired by, I guess, the Texas oil baron because they, they don't want to pre- press criminal charges. They just want the money back. But he is, Arbogast is his name, and he has followed Lila to Fairvale. And he introduces himself. And <laughs> I love how he's introduced. It's like just some kind of weird close-ups. And he's just kind of, this This feels very film noir-ish like, because he's wearing the, the hat too. He's, yeah, yeah. he's very hard-boiled detective looking. And he's played by Martin Balsam, who I've seen in a bunch of stuff. He's in Death Wish three. He's in The Twilight Zone. He's a good actor, good character actor. He's good here. Again, there, there. Nobody's pressing charges. They just want to find Marion. They just want to find the money. No one has reported a missing person because so far, you know, they're they're not getting the police involved. Arbogast basically ensures them, like, hey, like let let me run this thing. You guys don't know what you're doing. I will. Go investigate and he goes basically from house to house or not house to house, I guess like hotel, bed and breakfast, like all these different places. Yeah. And eventually he finds the Bates Motel. It's like the last place he checks. Well, it literally is the last place he checks because he never leaves. (laughs) He he almost he, he almost didn't find it because the light is off. And the whole thing with the Bates Motel is it used to be next to the highway, but then the highway got moved, so it is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And Arbergas starts talking with Norman, mentions obviously who they're looking for, shows him a photo, and Norman. He, this is where he's eating candy corn. He's again very friendly, but he's he's also a little awkward. And at first he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, no, nobody. I've never seen her. No, no one's come by here for weeks." But then he starts contradicting himself in a few things he says, and. Arbogast picks up on that, so eventually he's like, oh, yeah, no, no, she was here. And he's like, I'm sorry, I wasn't lying to you. I just have, you know, trouble remembering things. And, and Arbogast seems to buy that. And at this time, yeah. um, there's obviously not suspecting murder. I don't know what they're suspecting. later on when um, Sam is talking to Norman, he suspects that he has, like, hidden her away. And um,
1: I, think, I think right now they, they suspect that Norman has been paid off to keep quiet about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: about her being there, and then later on they suspect that he's killed her and taken the money.
0: And this is, again, Norman being friendly, mentions like, hey, you know, nobody's here. I was about to go change the sheets. I do that every week. Whether anyone slept in them or not, why don't you come join me? He's he, back to his, like, charming self. Arbogast turns him down, but he notices a figure up in the window of Norman's house, and he's like, who is that? And Norman's like, oh, that's just that's my mother. She's sick. She won't be able to talk to you. But then they they talk a little bit more and Norman says something. He says something like, listen, Marion, she might have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother, which is probably a dumb thing to say. To be (laughs) So Arbogast is convinced the mother did speak with her, but he also knows Norman won't let him speak with her. So he has to go about sneaking his way up there on his own. But before that, he calls and talks to Lila and Sam and says, listen, I'm at the Bates Motel. Marion did stay here a few days ago, and she must have talked to Mrs. Bates. So I'm going to go talk to her and see what's up. So he sneaks into the house. He's being all stealthy-like, walking up the stairs. And then I love this scene, too, with the uh, creepy shot of the door just slightly opening, door just moving ever so slightly. And then we get that great overhead shot of the woman coming out of that room at the top of the stairs with the knife in hand. And then stabbing Arbogast, and Arbogast falls down the stairs, in, in what's admittedly a very weird shot, um, it's it's like a, they did like a green screen thing. It's very very odd, but he's falling down the stairs. He's falling back down the stairs, but he's still like on his feet.
1: Yeah, all the way to the bottom.
0: <laughs> and then the scene ends really cool. Like with we get like a big, you know, a full stab, like the arm pulled all the way back. That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that was great about that scene is how fast the mother ran out and stabbed him. Like, it was just, it was just, it was like a split second. You know, it's Mm -hmm. almost like you weren't even
0: expecting it. So after this, Sam goes out to the Bates Motel. Well, the first Sam and Lila talk, and they decide that one of them needs to stay there in case Arbogast does show up. So Sam goes out to the Bates Motel, doesn't see anybody, and starts honking the horn and yelling out Arbogast's name. Norman, meanwhile, is over at the swamp because he has just been burying Arbogast's body and he just kind of looks back all sinister like and he's like you know he's in no rush to help sam obviously but obviously the the swamp is relatively near the motel because he can hear all that nonsense going on sam also sees a figure in the window an old lady in the window so sam and lila eventually talk to like the local sheriff who's played by the old guy that gets murdered in turner and hooch Apparently he never looked young because this is like 30 years before Turner and Hooch and he still looks pretty old here. They have this long scene of, I guess it's exposition, but they're talking about like what's going on. And then at the end of the scene, it's revealed, or towards the end of the scene, that whatever happened, Arbogast did not see, Arbogast and Sam did not see Norman's mother because Norman's mother is dead and buried. And then I I love the addition of, um, the cop of the sheriff's wife and he's like she's like yeah i helped norman pick out the dress she wore periwinkle blue (laughs) i love that like little addition it it gives you like small
1: town sheriff feel you know what i mean
0: yeah this is this is not phoenix this is small town turner and hoot sheriff with (laughs) sam and i almost said sam and diane like in cheers with sam and lila (laughs) here so yeah and obviously the sheriff is like listen what you need to forget about like the money and just file a missing persons report get the police involved as soon as possible to figure everything out so the sheriff we don't see it but he mentions the next morning to them that he did go down and talk to Norman and and he basically didn't get any more information than what Arbogast told them so then Sam and Lila concoct a plan where they go to the Bates Motel they're going to be husband and wife and they're going to try and figure out what's going on and again they kind of th- suspect maybe Norman's being paid off. They don't think murder, right off the bat. Anyways, this this scene's really weird too because we've we've seen the other scenes with Norman where at the very least he's uh he's been friendly, and here he's not not really. He's just like not having it. But it's also like Sam is being weird and kind of mean and rude. And yeah. um, Norman checks them into a ca- cabin very far away from Cabin One, but. When he's like, hey, let me help you get your bags. And he's like, I haven't got any. (laughs) And so right off the bat, Norman's like, okay, this is weird. He's suspicious. Arbogast must have said that she stayed in cabin one or something because they know she stayed in cabin one. Yeah, he did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's like, I even know what cabin she stayed in.
0: So they have a plan then after they check into the motel and they they unload their non-existent bags in their room that Lila... Needs to get up to the house to talk to the mother, who I should point out has been moved. I guess we had that really creepy scene, again of the overhead shot of Norman kind of arguing with his mother and moving her downstairs to the fruit cellar. <laughs> yeah. That came about. That came about after the, after Sam showed up at the motel looking for gas. That that's, that scene happens then. And that's also worth pointing out, of course, because the the sheriff had been in Norman's home most recently, you know, when the scene that we didn't see, mm-hmm. Norman Norman let him in and was being perfectly normal, I guess. So, Lila needs to get up to the house, so Sam is going to distract Norman, and Sam goes to Norman's office, starts talking to him, and he's doing all the talking. He even points out, like, isn't it supposed to be the lonely people, like, the people who are just out in the middle of nowhere and never see anybody that should do all the talking? And Norman's just like, meh, whatever. Like, <laughs> he just doesn't give a shit. I love it. Yeah, and, and he, um, he
1: plays I don't give a shit really well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want you out of here. I'm annoyed with you. That's the vibe he's giving off. I'm annoyed mm-hmm. that you here.
0: Yeah, and Sam is in full-on, like, tough guy mode. Like, he's he thinks he's so cool here. He thinks he's so intimidating, and Norman's really <laughs> just like, yeah, whatever. He reminds me a lot of <laughs> of Riker from Star Trek
1: for some reason. <laughs> you know, like, he's just getting loud. <laughs> and he's like leaning on the table yeah that's what he does he just gets loud and leans on the table and yells but i like Riker a lot
0: (laughs) so lila sneaks into the house she's looking all around she's looking up at uh, the upstairs bedrooms and she finds basically a little child's room that appears to be untouched since norman was a little kid you know it's got like toys and stuff and it's really weird and then he also finds the master bedroom where there is a mark in the bed from like someone sleeping there this is obviously a very old mattress if it still leaves a mark like that but that makes sense maybe it's memory foam they didn't have memory (laughs) foam back then also memory foam it It bounces back (laughs) yeah that's the opposite of memory (laughs) foam The first time I ever slept in a sleep number bed, I was at uh, an aunt and uncle's house, and I put it on zero just out of curiosity. Like, I'm just curious what would happen. And I had an amazing night's sleep, and I woke up, and I was like, the rest of the bed was above me. I was like Johnny Depp in A Nightmare on Elm Street being like sucked in. It was awesome, though. (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) Maybe next time I'll try a hundred. I say that's the first time I slept in a uh, sleep number bed. I believe it's the only time. So Norman eventually realizes that this conversation is not, you know, going so well, this conversation with Sam. And he's like, because Sam is like, you know, hey, what? <laughs> Sam's still going on about the money. And I love that because Norman at no point knows what anyone's talking about when they're talking about the money. Yeah. And that's just kind of <laughs> yeah. great. But he's like, oh, I bet you ex- exactly what you would want to exactly what you need in your life is to is a $40,000 to open up a new motel near that freeway and he's just thinking like what the fuck are you talking about he's like but eventually he he's (laughs) he's like wait a second where's that girl that you're with and so they fight and norman knocks him out and then norman runs up to the house while this is happening because he he checks upstairs first lila hides like underneath the stairway and then she's like ready to like go leave, but then she notices that downstairs there's a there's a door. And so she follows that into the fruit cellar, where she finds Mrs. Bates. She just sees her from behind in her little rocking chair. She grabs her shoulder, turns her, and then of course, it's a spooky skeleton, slightly preserved, but it's a dead body. And then Lila screams, Norman emerges in drag he's he's the one been dressing up as the woman and he's got his <laughs> knife and he's ready to attack her but Sam saves the day by grabbing Norman and just kind of there's just a struggle and Norman falls or gives up or you know whatever and so it's like yo wow great movie and then we have this really long I mean it's not that long but it seems long the exposition scene with Simon Oakland the psychiatrist which you know we got to talk about this scene because this scene is is it's the worst scene in the movie. I 100% know why it's there. People watching this movie in 1960 when it comes out would have been like, What the hell was that? And like, they wouldn't have known. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, there's even that one guy who's like, They're like, Well, why did he dress up as a woman? He's and a transvestite. Like, he's a transvestite. <laughs> like, and then he's like, Not exactly. <laughs> like, so I understand why yeah. the scene's there, but it is rough. It is kind of, you know, it, it's very talky. It goes on for a long time. The psychiatrist is very, he's very theatrical, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, I'll give him credit for that because he he comes out and he's like, I got the whole story, but I did not get it from Norman. I got it from Norman's mother. And I'm like, if you're trying to explain this to like cops and people whose, (laughs) you know, sister or girlfriend was murdered, you probably wouldn't talk in this way. But I love that he's doing that. He's having, he's having fun with it. It's not too often you get a case like this if you're a psychiatrist, right? So you're milking it for all that it's worth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where he explains that years ago, Norman, who had always had a very overprotective mother, grew jealous when when Mrs. Bates took on a lover. So he eventually killed the two of them when they were in bed together. And then, because he couldn't deal with that grief, with that um, with that on his conscience, he started taking on qualities of the mother and believing that he was the mother at times. And he he mentions he could have conversations with her back and forth. And he says something like he was never all Norman, but now he is basic. But there are moments where he was definitely all mother. And he Mm -hmm. concludes that that's basically what he is now. And then this is when the money comes back, too. But they're like, what about the $40,000? And he's just like, ah, it's in the swamp. (laughs) These are crimes of (laughs) passion, not profit. And I love, love, love that there's still people trying to make this movie about the money. It's not about the money. Stop <laughs> trying to make the money happen. <laughs> oh, it's never no. going to happen.
1: But what about, it's a shut up. Don't you get it? Yeah, well, and shut then up. obviously
0: Lila Ly- <laughs> asks, like, and my sister? And he's like, yeah, she's dead. Yeah, he murdered her. Or rather, <laughs> yeah, if, the mother you, if you couldn't put her. that together. <laughs> yeah, but, well, because the mother apparently got jealous of Norman meeting this pretty young woman and obviously taking an interest in her. And then, well, actually, as, as rough as that scene ends, that's not technically the end. And the actual ending, the ending scene is actually amazing. I love this, mm-hmm. where some, some cop enters the office where they're having this discussion and is like, hey, can I give him this? He's feeling chilly. And he's holding up a blanket. And they're like, yeah, sure. And he goes back and you don't see it, the, the, but he goes into the holding cell and, and hands Norman the blanket. And you just hear this female voice say, thank you. And then we and then we are inside this holding cell with Norman bundling himself up with the blanket. And then it's Norman's mother with this her interior monologue where she's talking about, like, can you believe that they actually think I did this, that I was capable of doing this? She's like blaming Norman and not her. (laughs) And then is that great stuff where there's where a fly lands on his hand and she's like why you know I'm not even going to swat that fly and they I hope they I hope they're watching me you know they'll watch me and they'll think why she wouldn't even harm a fly and then there's this um the shot of Norman's face as he kind of gets this grin there's a really brief kind of fade into his like face with a skull which mm-hmm. is really neat I loved that when I was a kid and then as the end comes up on screen we see the car being pulled out from the swamp
1: with the forty thousand dollars in it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean it's <laughs> that's all wet and so you know. No. So Jim, what did you think of Psycho?
1: Uh, it's a great movie. I mean, you know, as we said at the beginning, it's a, it's a true classic. It's a it's a cinematic masterpiece from one of the greatest person people to ever wield a camera. The thing I think it suffers from is once you've seen it once or twice. I mean, it, like it, it's still an exciting movie to watch, but once you've seen it once or twice, you know what's coming. You know, if I could somehow that's true watch... of any
0: movie, though. Yeah,
1: well, except uh, except like I love rewatching a movie like Hot Fuzz. Let's say that's one of my absolute okay. favorite movies to rewatch. I could do it time and time again. Stuff like Lord of the Rings, stuff like that. But Psycho, the big draw for Psycho is the twist, the shower scene.
0: Yeah, I understand, but I also think. You know, a great twist ending, the best twist endings, a la The Sixth Sense or whatever, they make you want to rewatch the movie. And I think that's what Psycho does. If if we look at the twist as in not just that Janet Lee gets killed, but the twist as in Norman has a split personality and is acting as his mother when he kills people, which that's really the twist because we, we the entire movie are led to believe that he and his mother are different people. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so if that if you view that as the twist, then that makes the conversation scenes all, all of his like little lines and kind of subtle hints at it all the more thrilling, all the more rewarding, I think. So I, I think that twist makes me want to keep watching the movie. I understand the Janet Lee thing, the, which to be perfectly honest, I knew about the shower scene before I ever saw the movie. Psycho is one of the movies. Psycho is above all other movies, the movie that I would have loved to see knowing absolutely nothing about it. You know, but I knew about yeah. the shower scene. I even knew it was chocolate syrup, and you know that they use for blood. And, you know, I I wish, because you are so into that forty thousand dollars thing, and and then just the movie takes a harsh left turn, and then the money just isn't important anymore. And I wish I could have seen that, truly been engrossed by that story, and then had the rug pulled out from under me. It's like audition, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, it's not as extreme as audition. But it's kind of <laughs> like that.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, my complaint there or my wish to have to be able to watch Psycho with fresh eyes every time is a minor complaint because I don't have any complaints about the movie, even some of the acting like, you know, it, it might not be as good as most of the other actors. Like, uh, Christ, what's what's the fellow's name? Sam's uh, the, the John actor, Gavin. But, yeah, I mean, he's not
0: super great, but he's definitely the worst.
1: Yeah, but you forgive him and and any other like fault that an actor has just because how great the rest of the movie is.
0: Yeah, and even the even the acting, I think this is a very well acted movie. I think Anthony Perkins is just perfect as Norman Bates, just absolutely just spot on, you know. I couldn't imagine it being done better. But I but this past time, re watching it, I did notice that he he seems to be an actor that plays off of who he's acting with. Because his mm-hmm. scenes with John Gavin are not nearly as good as his scenes with Martin Balsam and especially the scene with Janet Leigh, which is, you know, the shower scene is a classic. That conversation with the parlour is my favorite scene. He is so good. And, and there you could say Janet Leigh's playing off of him, too, because she has the, you know, the facial reactions to his weirdness and everything. But I love how natural he is, natural and awkward. And he is with um, Martin Balsam, where at that point, you know he's hiding something, but he's still
2: playing <laughs> yeah. it as
0: cool as he can. And then the scenes, the scenes with um, John Gavin, which it's just a couple of them and they're not too long, are just not as good. And, and some of that, maybe John Gavin kind of sucks. But yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. And Anthony Perkins is such, when you're done watching the movie, you almost want to see just more shots of him you know, just more stuff. I don't know. I just wish there was more stuff from that movie. It, now, it's also funny that they waited till after Hitchcock died to start making sequels, I guess.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's not a coincidence. No, <laughs> absolutely not. A coincidence. <laughs> absolutely not. Well, that, that was also like, it, that was Universal in the 80s. Joe Bob Briggs has talked about this where Universal felt like they, because this, this movie, is a Paramount release, but any DVD release or whatever, I watch this movie on Apple Movies or iTunes, whatever the hell it's called now, and um, it has the Universal logo, and then the credits kick in, and it says, oh, like a Paramount release or whatever, and it's just, I th- like, Paramount or Universal just, like, bought the rights to, like, everything Hitchcock a long time ago, maybe probably after he died. Universal, in the 80s, felt like they they were kind of jealous because they see all these, like, independent producers and you know nightmare on elm street is new line and they're having success with with you know this with freddy and then paramount with friday the 13th and all these other like nobody studios and universal's like well we invented horror and we don't have shit to show for it in there <laughs> so they just like started buying up sequel rights to like everything like the fant- the first couple phantasm sequels are universal produced and the, obviously the original phantasm is very very independent and that's when they, that might even be when they bought Psycho, but I don't think, I think they probably already had the rights to Hitchcock's movies before that. But I just love that kind of fascinating little period in history where Universal was just like, shit, 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 we need a big horror movie. What, what do we do? And it's like, yeah, it's Psycho too. why not? Uh,
1: yeah. Now, is is Indiana Jones Universal?
0: It's got to be right. I think that might be a similar thing to... Yeah, because I think think it's it's, well, it's the Paramount logo because they have like the all the movies, there's like a mountain or something that fades into the Paramount logo or the Paramount logo that fades into something on screen. Yeah, I know there's like a universal, well, the Indiana Jones ride is at Disney. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's owned by Disney now. Well, everything's owned by Disney now. Fuck Disney. Well, anyways, my point was- <laughs> Our podcast's the... probably owned by Disney yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, no. Didn't read the <laughs> fine no.
1: print. Oh, no. Sorry,
0: Disney. We love you.
1: No, my point was, remember how when, when we were watching The Mummy for the commentary track like a few months yeah. ago? Pretty sure I was at my parents' house watching it because it's on VHS there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, But it opened with like this fancy universal- Mm -hmm. montage of like all of their movies and psycho was in it and indiana jones was in it and all these great movies and then it and then it kind of like started with the
0: with the mummy okay my favorite of those uh, little montages and i can like still hear the music in my head was on some hitchcock dvd and I, i i haven't owned a lot of hitchcock films on dvd i own a few now but i never did when i was younger i would just like rent them from the library or blockbuster or whatever. But on some of the Hitchcock DVD releases, it opens with that a universal montage of everything from Hitchcock movies. And it's freaking incredible. And it's like, I know what like 90% of those things are. But when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, I want to know what that one is. I want to see that movie. I can. Yeah. And I remember my Jurassic Park DVD has like probably the exact same one you're talking about with the <laughs> mummy. Where it's just yeah. like all these. There's probably Psycho. There's probably Jaws. Jaws is definitely on there. But yeah, I love Hitchcock. Like I said, Psycho is not quite my favorite movie by him. It's it's definitely not the best. Vertigo is very clearly his best movie. Vertigo is better than almost every movie ever.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you that, actually. But Psycho is ever...
0: kind of the sentimental favorite because it was the first one I saw. I grew up with it. It was one of the early horror movies I saw that I would have gotten into, you know? I saw it as a kid, probably seven or eight. Loved it.
1: Wow. Well, it's funny because I've, I've only seen six Hitchcock movies. Uh, Vertigo is definitely one of them and Vertigo is my favorite of the ones I've seen but I've seen
0: I've seen more films by Hitchcock than any other director I've seen probably about 30 or so which is oh, uh, probably yeah, uh, like half his... his movies he did a bunch of silent movies that I've never seen yeah I think no. he did
1: 50 or 60 movies
0: yeah probably at least
1: I recently watched and by recently I mean last year Notorious and I really enjoyed that's, it
0: that's that's the Biggie Smalls biopic that Hitchcock yeah. did <laughs> you're
1: such an asshole yeah. <laughs> exactly that's the
0: Duran Duran music video but anyway
1: I like I liked Claude Rains in it
0: yeah Notorious is great it's um probably not quite in my top 10 Hitchcock movies you know I love uh Vertigo North by Northwest Rear Window Strangers on a Train is one of the best plots ever for a movie I think and that movie's freaking hilarious too so many great ones Psycho's it's it's a strong contender it's probably his second best film It's probably barely my second favorite movie by his. It's almost first. But yeah, it's a great movie. It's a masterpiece. There's that, again, that 20, 25-minute stretch of um, Norman and Marion meeting through Norman burying Marion's body in the swamp. That stretch (laughs) there. That is the best 20, 25 minutes I've ever seen on film consecutively and then it's kind of like everything after that isn't as good. The movie takes a bit of a dip after that. Yeah. And then the movie takes an even bigger dip, I think, after Arbogast is killed because then we're dealing with John Gavin Vera Miles and like, yeah, Vera Miles is fine, but John Gavin just kind of sucks. And that's, you know, that's, that's <laughs> my agree. complaint there. I agree. Speaking of kind of sucking, let's talk about Spookies, Jim. we Actually, hang on. Do we even need to talk about Spookies? Can we just talk about Psycho for another hour? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, are our fans going to be upset by that? Probably not, because Spookies is real shit. Well, hey, you know, Phantasm and Screwballs is one of our more popular episodes, and we hated Screwballs, so I guess we got to give Spookies a shot.
1: There's, first off, there's like a... At first I thought it was a midget, but I guess it's a kid running around in that Phantasm dwarf... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> dwarf outfit you know what I'm talking yeah about? he's in a
0: halloween costume <laughs> yeah. as something i don't know what he is
1: well uh, there's not much to say first off i guess
0: <laughs> this well, is well first let's let's answer the important question yeah Jim, is there a plot in Spookies? No, no. Yes, no. I agree. I agree. There is not one.
1: Well, see, so here's the way I'm going to explain I do not
0: this. envy your task here in describing Spookies, because this <laughs> is kind of just like a what the fuck are we doing kind of it, Well, if
1: it makes you feel any better, or I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I'm not going to try to explain it. I'm just going to say what it is, and, <laughs> and then we can talk about
0: parts of it. It's a movie that speaks for itself, I guess. If you First of all, it's on Shudder, if you're yes. that curious. Yeah, if you're that curious, check it out. Joe Bob Briggs hosted it at one point. I don't remember which season it was of The Last Drive-In or maybe if it was one of the specials. That's probably the far more entertaining way to watch the movie than to just literally watch Spookies. So I'll just, you know, quick plug for Shudder, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly how I watched it. And I like the description on Shudder. It's like, oh, a group of teenagers are out for a party until they come group to a Group of mansion.
0: teenagers and 175-year-old man. <laughs> I know. Anyways the weird thing about so, spookies, so a group of teenagers and their real estate agent
1: <laughs> <you're honest. laughs> yeah well here's the weird thing about spookies okay it's essentially two different movies but it's more like three different movies and a short <laughs> all put into one quote-unquote movie all the stuff with the air quotes teens because all these teens are played by people who are in their 20s or like one one character said she's 24 and then there's like a 40-year-old man uh with yeah. all these young people but that and all the stuff in the house with them and the monsters were all filmed in 84 for a movie okay. called Twisted Souls now the old creepy man who's a sorcerer and the bride is that what stuff he is? yeah that he even calls himself a sorcerer at one okay. point. okay
0: well he's he's doing a very bad like Bela lugosi accent he's doing like a uh, yeah exactly he's doing a
1: he's doing a check on original star trek <laughs> almost
0: oh a little bit yeah nuclear yeah, vessels <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Chekhov gets rid of the w or the v's and puts in w's yeah Ghost is yeah. the opposite so a little different but yeah
1: but uh yeah just the same level of terrible yeah so then there's oh, like oh old... it's
0: worse than Chekhov it's far worse than Chekhov
1: so this guy he's like an old sorcerer and he's got this midget son thing I don't know then there's a kid named Billy he's got a green son <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's got a green sun. Uh, there's a kid named Billy. There's also a bride. And there's a cat man who looks like a reject from the most recent Cats movie. It's like a gypsy cat Yeah, so, so
0: the cat man, yeah, <laughs> because he's basically a werewolf, but he's a cat. <laughs> right? Because he he acts like a werewolf, but he uh, meows yeah. a few and, times. And, and, it's not he, bad makeup. No,
1: but he also, he also, <laughs> he doesn't have two hands. One of his hands is a cat hand, have... and then the other one is, okay.
0: a, is a hook. Did you
1: notice that?
0: Oh, he's like the guy from Enter the Ninja then. No, yeah, I exa- know. I I did notice
1: that. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's got a hook for a hand. But anyways, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Buster Bluth over here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But all that stuff with the sorcerer and Catman and stuff, that was all filmed in 85. So I guess what had happened was they that they had filmed a movie or most of a movie called Twisted Souls, and then their studio ran into some legal trouble with the person who was writing Twisted <laughs> Souls, I think. Studio in quotes, of course. Exactly. Yeah, studio in quotes
0: their mom's house foreclose had to foreclose
1: (laughs) yeah they couldn't film in grandma's basement anymore so i guess it it was something like they put that movie on hold and then in 85 they brought in a new director and writer to film stroke right all of this other stuff that they then just crammed into one movie and called it
0: (laughs) spookies which i will say it's a good title it's a misleading title It's, but it's a yeah. good title. It's <laughs> the name "Spookies" sounds like a good time. It does. It sounds yeah. like a ghoulies, like a family-friendly horror movie. Sounds like, like a, you're
1: gonna have fun. You're gonna Goonies. Be startled, you know, it's, it's a name laugh. like that. Yeah. And
0: this is not a really a family-friendly movie. Not that it's like horrific or intense or anything, but it's not really like a Gremlins. You know?
1: No, it's it's definitely um, not. I don't know. If, if, you're, if you're under 14, you probably... Oh, if you're under 12, you probably shouldn't be watching it. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that bad in it, but...
0: If you're above baby age, you should not be watching it.
1: <laughs> Any age, you should not be watching it. You should just open your trash can and throw it in.
0: Or flush it down the toilet, like the $40,000. <laughs> yeah, March. rip it up. Oh, I forgot to mention that Lila and Sam found what was left to that note in the bathroom when they were investigating yeah, I'm yeah. sorry I missed a crucial plot point but now we're talking about a movie without a plot with, with No plot boy points. don't you miss that don't you miss <laughs> plot points
1: yeah we haven't even, we haven't even gotten into it yet don't this you miss great.
0: characters and compelling performances and solid direction creative camera work scenes that match
1: well speaking of solid direction Patrick you know what all of these directors went on to do
0: after Spooky's kill themselves yeah
1: literally nothing except except so like it was directed so the first part with the stuff with all the quote-unquote teens was directed by brendan faulkner and thomas doran or doran god i'm
0: I'm picturing this guy as as a relative of the greatest american writer now
1: (laughs) oh my god (laughs) terrible
0: this is a southern gothic film excuse me i didn't give it enough credit
1: (laughs) uh then all the Other Crap Stuff was directed by Eugenie Joseph and written by Anne Burgund, who went under a pseudonym of Joseph Burgund, for whatever reason. But Anne Burgund was a producer on The Mask, Jim Carrey. Oh. And I didn't look up any of the actors because they're all terrible
0: people, and I'm sure they're out of work. Well, you don't know they're terrible people. They're terrible actors. We do know that yeah
1: you're right sorry that's what i meant to say terrible
0: this guy's a great real estate agent you know um yeah but hey speaking of which I, i you know just go back to psycho for a moment i did not mention anything about the writer of psycho and that is one of my favorite scripts with a big asterisk on it where you know it's kind of that it's got that rough scene towards the end but overall love the screenplay written by joseph stefano or stefano who went on to create the television series The Outer Limits just a few years later. So classic science fiction, you know, kind of horror related, but it's a sci-fi show, sort of Twilight Zone-ish. And he also wrote a, wrote a, an episode or two for Star Trek, I believe. Oh, wow, okay. Series. So he was more of a sci-fi guy, I think. Robert Block, also. Robert Block, I, I believe it's pronounced Block. It's spelled like B-L-O-C-H, C-H. so you'd think yeah. Blotch. But he also <laughs> wrote an episode for the original Star Trek series. He wrote "Cat's Paw," which is like the haunted house Star yes. Trek episode. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's the author of the. That's the written by the guy that wrote the book Psycho.
1: Well, apparently, Psycho, like the, the, the novel, was such a big hit. I I, I think like it it's Yes won all kinds and of no.
0: I'm I'm. Have you seen the film Hitchcock? You probably haven't. It's no. the Anthony Hopkins. Um, Helen Mirren movie. It's not bad. It's not really. It's not a a true biopic, but it's it's okay. That that movie kind of depicts. Hitchcock and the struggles that he endured when making Psycho and it's a lot about his relationship with Alma Revel who is his uh, wife who was apparently very important in most of his films. I don't really know much about her though but according to that movie it was basically like the book may have been successful I don't know but when they were making the movie they wanted to be so secretive about the plot that Hitchcock, like, personally bought as many freaking copies of the book that he could so that no one could read it and know the twist ending. (laughs) Oh my (laughs) god, wow. Which, which I don't know if that's true, but that's in that movie. And if it is true, that's commitment, you know?
1: Yeah, well, you know what else I, I I read about Hitchcock there? He that he funded the movie out of his own pocket because Paramount didn't want to gamble on Psycho.
0: That is true. Yeah, because he's making a darker movie and stuff. And I think at one point, Psycho was going to be just like an hour long. And it was going to be like an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And I think that was because he didn't really have no one really had confidence in this story. And he's like, okay, maybe. And that's that's why it's black and white is it's for a Hitchcock film at that time. It's very, very cheap compared to his other movies. I mean, he just made North by Northwest, which was probably his biggest budgeted movie. And, you know, it stars Cary Grant. It's got these big action set pieces, all that stuff. So like, yeah, this is, Psycho was like a cheap indie movie in comparison. <laughs> a cheap indie movie. Yeah. I speaking, speaking of cheap indie movies, let's get back to Spookies.
1: Yeah. So we keep talking about how there's no plot and there really isn't there's this i guess just to quickly run through there's this boy at the beginning and like (laughs) when i explain these they're all going to be separate but you have to remember that they're (laughs) i can't even describe how it's all interwoven it's not no it isn't it's just like a series of scenes with noises that are people talking put together and it's supposed to create a movie but it does not happen it is literally not a movie
0: lots of people being unable to open doors yeah yeah, lots of the Catman closing doors.
1: <laughs> that's that's one of my that's one of my favorite parts. Okay, okay, hold on. First off, there's this loser boy Billy whose parents forget it's his thirteenth birthday. He runs out into the woods.
0: Or maybe they meets... don't. We don't really know. He just he's like going to a house. Like he's just like out. Maybe they were throwing a surprise party and he just yeah. wasn't at home. Yeah,
1: and he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go out and hang out in the woods and eat some
0: snowballs." And he meets a creepy guy outside. Yeah,
1: yeah. Who, who then... gets
0: killed by Catman? I think right. So then Billy runs into the house. There's Catman like... Crothers. That's what we call him, folks.
1: Oh yeah, so Billy goes into this giant mansion. There's like a like a like a birthday party table set up for him with a cake, and eventually he goes to open a present and it's just a severed head, but it's of the sorcerer, I think. And then Billy runs out of the house.
0: Of the spookmaster.
1: Yeah, the spookmaster general. And uh Spookmeister General.
0: Spookmaster
1: Flex. There you go. Yeah, and then Billy gets killed. He gets scratched up by the catman and then buried alive in a grave. And that's the end of Billy. So there's also before i get to the teens the quote-unquote teens because they're the most like they're the they take up the largest chunk of the movie there's this sorcerer first and i think he's actually the first character we see and he's a terrible actor in terrible old age makeup on this terrible i'm not
0: saying tor it's passable old age makeup it's fine
1: well when you're so I was watching this on Shudder For a on movie
0: my... like this, it's fine.
1: You're right. For a movie like this, it's fine. And we'll
0: leave it at that.
1: But he's got this whole plan to take people's life force or something I mean, and I resurrect...
0: Mean, I mean, he doesn't have a... The, the movie tries to convince you he has a plan, but he doesn't really have a plan.
1: Yeah. Uh, so he, he he introduces the audience to this woman who's in bridal clothes in in a wedding gown in this coffin and he's like oh i'm gonna bring her back i just gotta kill a few more people and this cat man is purring next to him as he's petting him which is really creepy at one point after uh, some people have been killed uh, actually i don't think anybody's been killed at this point but his bride awakes she she awakes from her
0: slumber oh yeah winona Ryder. She looks like a blonde <laughs> yeah. Winona Ryder when we yeah. just cut to her the first time. She looks like, because isn't, isn't she blonde in like Beetlejuice or something?
1: I know. No, she's got black hair in Beetlejuice, hasn't she?
0: I don't know. She's blonde in something. But this woman is is,
1: is a beautiful woman. And she wakes up and with says, the worst
0: scream ever.
1: But she wakes up and tells the sorcerer, No, let me die. I don't like you. <laughs> and then and she boy, runs away. Boy, am I with her. And she runs away. And I'm just going to tell you well, the this. Well, this is like
0: it. the last scene of the movie now we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I'm just trying to like knock these. Okay, out. Okay, well, listen, no...
0: listen. Let's we can't beat around the bush much longer. Let's talk about the farting zombies. Okay, yeah, the muckmen. These disgusting. They're not muckmen. They're they're they they they're, they're, they're farting zombies. This is as much as I hate this movie and think it's terrible. This scene is comedic gold i found myself (laughs) laughing so hard at this scene it's so positively dumb you have the jersey boys guy with his girlfriend or whatever they're like hanging out in the wine cellar and then these like blob zombies pop out from the ground and they start attacking and there's just farting sound effects for no reason throughout the entire scene and it's just so (laughs) dumb And I I read on IMDb that, like, that was a decision by, like, the executive producer who was like, hey, let's have farting sound effects and everyone else was like, no, that's dumb. But he overruled them. Yeah, that's the thing. It's so bizarre and it's played completely straight because the farts are just added, obviously, in post-production. So, like, nobody's reacting as if they're fighting fart monsters but they're yeah, just well, farting. It's that, so stupid.
1: It's so ridiculous, but also because the actual costumes, the makeup looks actually pretty decent.
0: Yeah, and that that's the thing too about, you know, Spookies, we get, we we really get a combination of good-looking monsters and some terrible-looking ones. But but like there's some good Effects work in this movie, and there's some good makeup, and there's some good spooky Halloween costumes, and then you know there's some awful stuff too. But yeah, these guys are fine. They're they're fine.
1: Oh, now, cause see, I want to get almost directly into the monsters, but give me two seconds, and I'll explain to people why there are teens at a at a house with a sorcerer and a bride.
0: But well, yes, please explain to me.
1: Well, first off, let's talk about Catman real quick. He. Appears and disappears throughout the movie. Oh, for fuck's sake! Just get to the teens. Okay, okay, okay. Catman's hanging out behind doors. That's all he's doing, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, he's
0: <laughs> hanging out in the window in one scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just there.
1: So these teens, they're driving. They've come from a party because they got kicked out, and they're looking for another party. And with these teens, as you point out, there's like Jersey boy and girlfriend, a guy with a fucking muppet.
0: Oh god, yeah. Then a,
1: a a British lady who's kind of rude, and her or sorry emasculate boyfriend and then there's like 45 year old man dating yeah, the real estate 20 year old yeah yeah dating 20 year old woman and they all show up at this house and jersey boy's like hey oh way hey, this looks like we could have a party here oh hey, oh and then they all go in and then they start getting attacked by monsters after their friend gets turned into a witch after they use a ouija board
0: yeah there's a ouija board or ouija board whatever it's yeah. called that's that's pretty much the plot in so much as there is a plot
1: well, you know, I'm wondering if the original plot, like, of this Twisted Souls movie, was that they accidentally, like, summoned a demon, and it went into this chick's body, and this demon just wanted to kill everybody in the house, so it started summoning other demons.
0: Probably. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a very loose kind of Evil Dead setup. Very yeah, could, loose.
1: And then they come upon a room that has, like, satanic stuff in it, and a statuette of this demon. But because... This is two different movies mashed together. None of it lines up or adds up or makes any sense. Because then you have like this sorcerer playing chess with a Catman and a midget son, midget blue son, midget green son. He's just a child. He's not a midget. Well, I don't know. I think in some
0: scenes, he's a kid. He's a, a kid midget. in a Halloween costume. He's just I don't someone it. painted him green and he's got the little vampire fangs. That's what he is. Oh, you're right. He does. <laughs> he's got those dollar store
1: vampire fangs. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But, anyways. The monsters.
1: We already talked about the, the okay. fart men, the zombies. Some of them look pretty good. Yeah, some the zombies don't
0: really pop up until the end, and that's that's the scene when the bride's running around, she's being chased, the record is is being scratched all over the place, and <laughs> they just they just kind of show up. They're they're not really they're not set up. They're just like there's even a scene where she like kicks a skull out of the way or something, mm-hmm. and then a zombie gets up. From beneath the ground, and then in the next shot, she's on the ground, and it's like, what? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. The zombies, some of them, they look okay, but you know, they're. I don't know what they are, where they're from. You know, well, I guess, I guess the house does have a giant cemetery, and it's in the yard. I guess there is that.
1: Yeah, and that is supposed to exist in this movie because the sorcerer has been killing people, keeping his like trying to bring his bride back to life.
0: Sure, I guess, whatever yeah <laughs> all right so what other monsters do we got we got spider lady spider, spider lady's lady. good she is, spider one lady actually is good. looks pretty good
1: and she kills the man with the muppet who's an absolutely terrible character he's a he's shit all the characters are total shit and but especially this guy because he's got a muppet muppet puppet named mook who he talks to and it's like grow the fuck up this guy's like 38 like stop it whatever you're doing just stop and it's not funny. Wouldn't ever... it be
0: funny if the 45-year-old man had the puppet? <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be so embarrassing. Because that would have been like an attempt to like, here, let's make him look younger. He's acting like a teen. Teens yeah, have puppets. Yeah,
1: let's put a backwards baseball cap on him and give him a puppet. God, fuck. That would have been so embarrassing. But yeah, he gets all of his juices sucked out. <laughs> they like, It's like they made a life-size balloon of this actor and then just took all the air out for when the spider lady attacks him yeah which is great but the spider and then we've also got good. the
0: um lizard mermaid things those the, things the mermaid cool. goblins yeah whatever that is the the ghoulies, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, ghoulies it's a very yeah. loose kind of ghoulie looking thing um yeah, the movie implies that there's more than one of them there isn't you know <laughs> we never see more than one in a shot but, but the movie wants you to believe that there's like three or four or yeah 15 something like of that
1: them. <laughs> yeah
0: those things are cool they look good those are, those are some good puppet
1: they look at i like the way they move especially that shot of that one crawling under the bed with its tail kind of swinging i liked that there's the there's a really weird monster the i, I haven't labeled as the gloopy bone tail and that's what kills the mean british woman you know like she thinks it's her boyfriend and then it gets close to her and it's like this gloopy monster that has this bone tail that chokes her and then throws her on the ground then incinerates her yeah. face or something yeah it's fine that one was all right yeah their friend that got turned into a witch yeah the makeup's
0: pretty all right this is very like it e- feels very evil dead influenced like the, the when when a person's possessed by a demon in the evil dead they'll have like the the over-the-top makeup and talk weird this one has the voice of the sorcerer for some reason which
1: by the way all the voices did
0: you notice <laughs> the voice of the sorcerer and his kid sound
1: like they're talking through like a pvc pipe.
0: Yeah, the sorcerer or the sorcerer sounds really weird weird his the, the line when they when the kid opens up the birthday present he's like happy birthday billy. He sounds like he's like for, coming from another dimension or something, yeah. yeah.
1: well look, I've got a glass here. It's almost like
0: happy birthday billy. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's perfect.
1: And then one of the other cool monsters that was in it was the I, I have it called the white witch that attacked the bride. Oh, yeah that was kind of spooky it looked really stupid though like it looked the most like a puppet probably
0: oh was this was this one where you see like the puppeteer's arms a lot too this <laughs> one? Yeah, yeah i think it's this one isn't yeah. it yeah yeah but it was a good one i like the way its
1: mouth moved it that's a good spooky. like
0: halloween haunted house decoration it really something is. you'd
1: find at spirit you know that's yeah
0: it is and that's both a good and a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a good thing for like a movie like again like if i'm if i'm watching a movie called spookies i'm expecting things like that you know that's kind of what it sounds like i will say the
1: best spooky though that was in the movie was the exploding grim reaper (laughs) oh this is
0: legitimately a very awesome looking grim reaper
1: he looks scary and he's a badass he's got a giant scythe big red glowing eyes some fangs but you can see the
0: cloth and he's combustible doesn't
1: mean well he attacks so uh, pretty much at the end there's three people left before they die then the bride starts running around the
0: grim reaper should be the climax by the way he sort of is for like our main characters but then we pick up with the bride for no reason and this grim reaper attacks the real estate
1: agent his girlfriend and jersey boy's girlfriend and real estate agent just tussles with him for a second and then throws him off the roof <laughs> and then it, it cuts to like a wide shot of this explosion <laughs> <laughs> this huge yeah. explosion going off, which is ridiculous, but it was Great pretty stuff. cool. I don't know. Like, th- this movie's so shit. There's literally nothing to this movie. You know, usually mm-hmm. I would say if you want to just throw something on and like have a few drinks and shoot the shit with a friend, then like a movie like this would be good. Yeah. But yeah, I- the I don't best even...
0: case scenario, the best, the only circumstance where I would maybe recommend putting spookies on is like in the background of a halloween party where no one is really watching the movie because you get all these different monsters it has the appearance of like a movie you would want to watch around halloween it's just terrible and it's (laughs) and it's not worth watching so like maybe terrible in, in the background maybe that's like the best case i don't even think i want to sit down with a friend and just talk while we're watching this movie this is, is like on in the background and you know you might glance at it every 14 minutes or so yeah that's that's and if you glance my at recommendation it, to you dear listeners in regards to spookies if you or just watch at the it, joe bob version because that's i mean he makes any awful movie a little bit better at least
1: yeah and it's also it feels definitely feels too long for what it is as well you know because again it's just a mashup of scenes and it's like why
0: does it need to be an hour and 30 minutes oh let's talk about our twist ending <laughs> what's our twist ending there's a twist ending there's a, like a cliff oh oh yes. or whatever okay because the bride is running away and the bride this is the scene that woke me up because her scream is just the ugliest sounding thing i've ever heard but she's <laughs> being chased by all these zombies <laughs> and you know they got a lot of zombies and i appreciate the space they have to work with like this scene yeah. isn't awful and then she eventually finds a car (laughs) and she gets in the car and she's trying to turn it on. And then some guy comes over. He's like, Hey, what are you doing to my car? And then she's like, help me. And then the guy sees all the spookies chasing after him. He's like, Oh, here. (laughs) And then he starts the car up and they start driving away. And she's like, I'm finally safe or something. And then the guy stops the car and turns over towards her. And he's the cat man. I mean, he wasn't earlier. He applied his makeup in between shots and Spooky. I think he says something like, Don't you know I always loved you or something? So the Catman also had a thing for the Spookmaster's wife, I guess, after all these years or maybe centuries. I don't even know. So that's kind of a twist or like a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's well, it's then... ending. It's really, you know, because we love this character so much that we met three minutes ago and we really wanted <laughs> to see her make well, it out but alive. Then,
1: but then we also can't forget that then this like stone coffin lid flies off and spooks. Spookmeister General is there, oh, yeah. laughing maniacally with his hands. Out well, stretched. I mean
0: that's just like a spook thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, spooky. Yeah, well, he—he's first of all, he visually he's kind of reminiscent of the Tall Man a bit. We should point that out. Yep. I mean, he's just wearing a suit and he's kind of old. <laughs> I guess that's it.
1: Looks kind of gray.
0: Yeah, and then I mean, he obviously he's doing his Bela lugosi accent thing, which is awful. I'm convinced Bela lugosi could pull off. An American accent better than this guy can pull off a Bela Lugosi accent. I'm just saying that. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, yeah. It's a. It's just. It's a real fucking trash movie. It's a pile of garbage. Is what it is. So Jim, what did you think of Spookies? It's a real fucking trash movie. It's a. It's a pile of garbage. Is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's a <laughs> walking disaster. I mean, this is an awful movie. I. I teased. Earlier in the, at the end of the last episode, which they, I recorded that episode a long time ago, so I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something about, like, we're doing Psycho and Spookies. We're doing the greatest horror movie ever made and the worst horror movie ever made. And then I kind of joked, like, that's eh, not actually that bad. No, no, it is. I'm not, yeah, I'm not it's that bad. Spookies is literally the worst horror movie ever. I think it's a little bit better than Halloween Resurrection. I think it's a little bit better than it's probably on the demonic toys level you know there's worse movies there's always going to be worse movies but spooky sucks it really is atrocious it's it's um it's embarrassing filmmaking it's (laughs) not acting um obviously you know no amount of editing could have saved this movie you know to to try and make the movie more coherent as one story it just wasn't going to happen i think really if you get rid of everything other then the fart zombie scene, you've got a great 90 second short film absolutely really, at the very <laughs> least you have one absolutely. incredible scene in this sea of utter diarrhea oh that's, yeah that's <laughs> that's the best thing I can say about spooky there's one fantastic <laughs> scene, and it's got a fun title, and some of the monsters are good
1: yeah yeah that's that's it you know uh, and again i I equated it to screwballs earlier, and don't be surprised. Uh, audience if uh, we do a season two wrap up and this is like the bottom of my list because it really is a big pile of stinking shit
0: well i've already mentioned that we're eventually doing slave girls from beyond infinity so get that list ready jim <laughs> <laughs> Because you may be surprised <laughs> that's coming up at some point <laughs> yeah so um jim which of these two movies do you prefer are you team <sighs> psycho or team spookies Hashtag Team Spookies
1: all the way, baby. Uh, no, obviously not. I'm not an idiot. Uh, Psycho is <laughs> well, by far one of the greatest things ever captured on film.
0: And honestly, even if Psycho were mediocre, it's, that's already ten times the film Spookies is. hundred
1: times. Yeah, if Psycho
0: <laughs> were nothing but a one-man show starring John Gavin, it's better than Spookies. <laughs> so yeah, we, we both agree Psycho is the superior film to Spookies. So, Jim, how do you think this works as a drive-in double feature? It doesn't work at all just because Spookies is
1: so terrible. That's it. You, you can't put, like, a, a a diamond next to shit and have that go together. You know? It's just impossible.
0: How about you? I was trying to think, like, could this—because Psycho is so good. Could this work if we just put on Psycho really, really late and you fall asleep when Spookies ter- comes on? <laughs> but then i'm like no it doesn't work because it wakes you up because that because that that is my experience with the movie i tried to sleep during spookies and i could not it woke me up <laughs> spookies pulled me back in just when i think i'm out they pull me back in yeah yeah i i'm agreeing with you not a great double feature or not not even a good one watch psycho on its own spookies didn't have a script that's a problem or rather <laughs> spookies had two two scripts scripts or maybe three i don't know Perhaps, i mean they're yeah. both all of them are awful together they don't work so yeah bad double feature i've got to agree and that hurts to say because psycho is just that good but spookies is just that bad
1: maybe psycho's too good for a double feature
0: i mean it's just pair it with any other freaking movie we've watched psycho and picasso <laughs> trigger i'm recommending this as a great double feature you know <laughs> Psycho and Ghoulies, Psycho and Killing American Style, all that stuff. All right, so here's what we're doing next week. I'm joined by a special guest named Kevin, and we will be talking about a couple of 1955 sci-fi horror monster movies in the British classic The Quatermass Experiment and Ed Wood's schlock classic Bride of the Monsters starring Bela Lugosi and Tor Johnson. So that's what's up next week. Be sure to join us. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at DriveIn Podcast. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash revenge of the Drive-In. There you'll find commentary tracks and other random shit, uh, early access to episodes. That is if you still want to listen to us after hearing us talk about spookies. So (laughs) (laughs) have a great spooky day, I guess. Make your day more spooky by not watching spookies. How about that?
1: That's a good one. I like that. Let's, let's leave it at that.